0: a-r-m-o-i-r-e dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village Podcast Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Aaron Royer. So, I have a couple of parenting questions today that I'm going to cover. The first one is from Julie, who says My son just turned three in June. We have a regular bedtime routine for years. We get PJs on, brush teeth, and then read a few books. I tuck him in and give him hugs and kisses. Despite the regular routine, he still cries every single night when I leave the room. He does calm down and will get to sleep, but there are some nights where he yells loudly for me, which then wakes my 15-month-old daughter. My husband owns his own company, so I'm alone all day with the kids and have to get two to bed at a similar time, and at the end of the day, I'm so run down. I would love to find a way for bedtime to be a smoother, pain-free process. So Julie, as you know, bedtime can be rough, and you have some extra challenges with the 15-month-old and the fear of her waking with the loud yelling. So first, I'll cover some basics about behavior and how what we do as parents can either reinforce or reduce the likelihood of a behavior reoccurring, just so that you can be aware and make decisions with this knowledge in mind. Then I will cover some tips and techniques with ways to handle this issue so that bedtime can become a smoother, easier process. First, I'm going to discuss behavioral theory and how our responses can shape our children's behavior for better or worse. Or I should say reinforce behavior or eliminate it, and depending on the behavior, that may be a good or bad thing. So operant conditioning is a way of shaping behavior through a system of rewards and or punishments for given behaviors. Now, this is a basic concept from Psychology 101 and has very practical and important applications to human behavior and therefore parenting. Sometimes parents end up working against theirs and their child's best interest unknowingly. So it's important to have a basic understanding of schedules of reinforcement. A schedule of reinforcement is basically how often you reinforce a behavior. Now, I know this may sound confusing, and I'm going to break this down, so just bear with me. So different schedules of reinforcement produce different results. Now, for each of these, I'm going to use the classic example of a pigeon pecking a lever for a pellet of food, because this is what they use in the lab in Psych 101 at the college level to teach about this operant conditioning, and schedules of reinforcement. Now, before your brain all hazes over and you wonder why in the world I'm talking about pigeons in a science experiment, I promise it's a good example of how parents unknowingly increase behavior that they don't want to see. So hang with me. So a fixed ratio schedule is a schedule of reinforcement where a response is reinforced only after a specified number of responses. I'm going to say that again. A fixed ratio schedule of reinforcement is where the response is reinforced only after a specified number of responses. So this means giving reinforcement, in the case of the pigeon, that's the pellet of food for every peck of the lever or every other peck of the lever or every third peck of the lever. When this happens, it produces a steady rate of response with only a brief pause after the delivery of the reinforcer. Okay, that's a lot. What does that mean? So again, it produces a steady rate of response. The response is the peck with only a brief pause. So the pigeon will pause for a moment after the delivery of the reinforcer, the pellet of food. So the pigeon will peck, eat the pellet, take a short break. Peck, eat the pellet, take a short break. Because that pigeon knows that every single time he or she is going to get a pellet of food. Now, if they need to peck twice, they'll go peck, peck, eat the pellet, take a break. Peck, peck, eat the pellet, take a break. This is the fixed ratio response. You get the idea. When it comes to people, we rarely or never reinforce on a fixed ratio. We never make our kids ask three times and then give them a cookie every third time they ask. We use a variable ratio schedule. We reinforce after an unpredictable number of responses. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's 10. A perfect example is slot machines. As we all know, These are highly addictive for many people because we never know when we're going to score. So this results in a high steady rate of response. We start shoving money into those machines and keep playing because we want to get that reinforcement. And because it's variable, we just never know when we're going to win. So it gets very exciting. So you might already be able to see how this spills over. If your child asks for a cookie or a toy at the store and you say, no, not today then your child asks again, and again, and again, and you finally cave in and say, oh my goodness, here's your cookie, just stop asking. This is a variable rate of response for the reward of the cookie, or toy, or back rub, or whatever your child asked for that you just gave into after five no's. The next time, your child will work even harder to get to the yes. The more this happens, the more we increase what we call the extinction curve. So if We ever decide, okay, we have to put a stop to this behavior, and I've seen this happen with parents who try to sleep train and give up halfway through. The next time, it just makes it harder because they have increased the extinction curve. They've taught the child to just work harder, that it will eventually reward you with what you want if you just keep pushing me, that no means yes, eventually. Now, if you do ever decide to work to undo a behavior that you have been rewarding through any of these schedules or reinforcements, it's good to be aware of all of this. And I'll get to how this applies to the bedtime issue in a moment, but first I'm going to quickly cover the extinction burst. This is an increase in the behavior right before the behavior begins to extinguish or drop off. The extinction burst is a last-ditch, all-out effort to see if the child can get his way. So now, to apply these concepts to bedtime, and I'm not saying any of this is good or bad or putting any judgment whatsoever on it, I'm just sharing the science of operant conditioning in this scenario so that parents can understand how their behavior or response to their child will shape the child's response moving forward so the behavior or stimulus in this case is the child crying now this is the child trying to shape the parent's behavior so the parent gets to decide am i going to allow the child to shape my behavior am i okay with the way things are right now or do i want to be the one who's going to shape my child's behavior so you get to decide this So when the child cries and the parent goes in to soothe said child, he or she gets a positive response or reward for the behavior of crying. So like the pigeon who gets a pellet of food from pecking the lever. So as you can see in this case, it's actually the parent and the child working on each other. The child trying to get the parent to do what they want, the parent trying to get the child to do what they want, and the the behavior or the operant conditioning can work in either direction. The crying will get parents to elicit a certain response in certain cases, whereas the rewards or the lack of reward will shape the child's behavior moving forward. Now let's talk about the schedule of reinforcement. If the parent goes in right away, every time the child cries, this is a fixed ratio schedule, meaning the child cries, they get rewarded right away, and so while it reinforces it, it doesn't reinforce it nearly as strongly as it would if the parent uses a variable ratio, like the slot machines. So let's say the parent thinks, I'm going to wait it out and see what happens. And so they wait two minutes, three minutes. Five minutes, getting agitated and annoyed. Seven minutes, going nuts. Eight minutes, ugh, I can't stand it, and goes in. What did the child learn? The child learned to cry for eight minutes because after eight minutes, the parent will come in. It just reinforced the behavior much more strongly than if the parent had gone in right away. Eight minutes is the new goal to hit next time. So you can see how this is the pattern. If you decide to try to break it, it will be a harder job than if you had always just gone in right away. So here I want to add one more thing about this. That is to say that if you decide that you're not going to go in, you have to decide ahead of time that you're going to stick to your guns. Don't start thinking, oh, I'm going to think about it or I'm going to try. If you're going to try, don't try. Just go in right away so that you don't reinforce it even stronger. So now I'm going to discuss what the extinction burst looks like and how it plays into this scenario as well. So as you hopefully remember, the extinction burst is the last-ditch, all-out effort to elicit the desired response, which is for mom or dad to come into the room so the child doesn't have to be alone. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order. Because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. In this case, the crying gets very loud and stressed, and when they have words, they will use whatever words they think will get a parent in there. Now, I feel bad for parents who have those kids who turn very dramatic and do whatever they can and try to figure out whatever they can to push mom or dad's buttons. And some kids will get as dramatic as, I can't breathe. They can breathe. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to talk or cry. How can you leave me? But whatever the response, it picks up and gets louder. And many times this is enough to get a parent to come in because they either feel they can't listen anymore or they're afraid of waking neighbors if they live in an apartment or other children. This last push means that the response is about to peak and then die off. Okay, so this is great, but what do you do? You need to decide if you want to and are ready to push through this issue, or if you prefer to go ahead and just deal with it each night that it happens until the child outgrows it. No 13-year-old is going to cry because you leave him or her in the room alone. But in all honesty, this could be years. They could still be doing it at 7, 8, or 9 and be pushing that bedtime boundary. So you need to decide, do I want to get rid of this and take care of this? So I'm not dealing with years of pushing bedtime boundaries, or am I just okay with it the way it is? Now, with that said, there are methods that don't require your child be left alone to cry. And actually, when it comes to toddlers, most of the time toddlers won't cry, yet most toddlers will get out of bed and come get you rather than crying. Now, there are three different methods for those parents who do want to get this pattern turned around. The first method is called the slow transition method. And Julie, this may be what you want to consider because while it takes longer, it eliminates the crying pretty much altogether during the process. Now, you have a little bit of an interesting situation because you said the child doesn't always do it. It's only sometimes. So given all this information, you can decide what feels like the best way for you to get this issue under control in your house. Now, if I did a consult with you, I'd ask a lot more questions, like when it's happening, how often it's happening, certain things leading up to it. We'd be asking lots of questions, and then we'd come up with some methods and answers together that fit your specific scenario that you feel the most comfortable with using in your house. And then we'd set up a plan. But without a lot of information, I'm just going to give you some basics, and then you can decide what you think will work best in this situation. Okay, so the first method is called the slow transition method. And while it takes longer, it eliminates the crying pretty much altogether for kids who are staying in the room and crying rather than getting out of bed. This method is a way of slowly moving away from your child, relying on your presence to fall asleep. And it can take five to six weeks to complete, and it would look something like this. During the first week after the bedtime routine, you sit on the bed with your hand on your child. Week two, you do your bedtime routine, then sit on the edge of the bed without touching your child. Week three, do the routine, but sit on the floor or on a chair by the bed. Week four, do the routine and sit by the doorway. Week five, do the routine and stay just outside the door reading a book. Now, of course, you can tweak things to your needs so long as you don't go backwards. In other words, in week two, if you need to put your hand on your child's back every so often, do so. Just make sure to stay on the edge of the bed and to only do so intermittently. The other thing is you don't want to be engaging with your child, chit-chatting with your child, talking with your child because it's going to make this process extremely difficult. And if you're not sure that you can do that, then this isn't the method for you. But you want the overall goal to be moving towards independence towards the child falling asleep independently without you needing to come back in and check on him or her. As you can see, it's just slow steps from staying and tucking in to leaving. Now these are not set in stone. They're just examples. So you can choose to implement steps that work for you that are slowly decreasing your presence at bedtime. There are pros and cons to this method and troubleshooting tips if you encounter issues with a child pushing back or begging to move back a step once you go to implement the next step. So if you want more information on this, you can see the toddler sleep class on the website at yourvillageonline.com under the development and health section. Also, you can check out the other two bedtime methods for toddlers in that class as well. Both are quicker than this method, and that is the check-in method, which usually takes about 10 days, and the mantra method, which is the fastest, which is about three to five days with significant improvements by day three, and also covers the troubleshooting and common issues for both of these. So if you want to know more, you can check out that class. I have a promo code you can use for 20% off of either sleep class, infant sleep, or toddler sleep, or either membership, the monthly or three-month membership, which of course includes all the sleep classes. And you just enter the code SLEEP, S L E E P, at the bottom of the checkout page. The next question comes from Talia. I absolutely love your podcast. I'm so glad I found you. I have two boys, ages five and seven, who are very active, typical boys. I am crafty and girly and enjoy calmer activities. When spending one-on-one time with each of my boys, it can be challenging to find common interests. I am not so good at playing pretend battles with action figures and stuffed animals. How do you find common ground to enjoy fun time together? What are some good mom-son activities that we can both share? Thank you so much. I love this question, Talia. I am not good at that stuff either. So here are some ideas. Games. My six-year-old loves to play a simplified version of Risk, which is a world domination war game, board game. Both boys love Battleship, although that's a two-person game, so if you're talking about one-on-one, you could do that, or you could take turns helping each child play against each other. Another one is Pie Face Showdown. My kids get a huge kick out of that. It's also a two-person game at a time, but it's really quick, so if the three of you are together, you could just switch around, taking turns. It's a sitting game, but because someone always gets splatted in the face with whipped cream or whatever you decide to put on it, it's silly and active enough to keep their attention. Other games like Spill the Beans or Cooties, the choices for fun games are almost Endless. Hullabaloo is another active game, although your seven-year-old might be getting slightly on the older end for this, but it is one where you you get to stand up and move around and jump from like different mats to different mats. So that could be something also. Do either of them like to build with Lego or blocks? How about Frisbee or throwing a football? So you're still being active, but you don't have to be running around and playing battles or trying to play army that, you know, (laughs) moms like us are just not only not adept at, but not all that excited about or interested in. Um, I'm a Nerf football girl myself. I, you know, I can throw regular football, but I feel much more comfortable with a Nerf football. So you can get a Nerf football, throw that around if that's more comfortable for you. Both my boys actually like coloring and crafts. So I'm wondering if you've tried any kind of coloring books or crafts with them before. Um and you can bring in their interests into the crafts. My oldest is totally into Harry Potter, and by default then so are my other two kids. So they wanted to make Harry Potter wands from those plastic chopsticks. They couldn't get enough of that. They couldn't make enough wands. But they needed my help because the designs on the wands require the use of a hot glue gun. I would do the hot glue gun, make the designs on them for them. They would put beads in them and then paint them to decorate once the hot glue had dried. So is there something they're really into, like superheroes or Star Wars or even ARMY, that you can find a fun related craft to do? You could take them to the store and pick out the stuff that you need, come home, and then do the craft together. Building forts is also always fun. And when parents help out with forts, they actually can get to be quite elaborate and quite fun because parents have more advanced engineering concepts to make forts more durable or bigger than when it's just the kids building them. If you have any Nerf guns, Nerf gun battles can be fun. You could sit behind the couch and shoot at each other or run around the yard, shoot at each other. You know, And this is something you can do without having to really play army per se. And kids love when adults get involved in these types of activities. We also have lightsabers made out of pool noodles for lightsaber battles. And again, they love it when the adults get in on this. You can do a three-way lightsaber fight or just one-on-one lightsaber fight. Just really fun. Now, I'd love to hear suggestions from other parents out there about how they like to play with their sons, especially if they aren't the most adept at playing in the same way or types of activities that their sons generally choose to play. So if you have more suggestions than what I gave, please send them my way Or if you have any parenting question you'd like answered, send them to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.